All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. Hey friends, I have some good news for you. Rethinking Faith will be back in action once again this year at Theology Beer Camp as the God Pods strike back. This event will be October 19th through the 21st in Springfield, Missouri. And this year, the God Pods are looking amazing. We have friends such as the New Evangelicals, You Have Permission, Homebrewed Christianity, The Bible for Normal People, Crackers and Grape Juice, A Tiny Revolution, Secret Art Project, A People's Theology, Rev Covery, and more. And on top of that, we have some fun Jedi Masters hanging out, bringing craft nerdiness such as John Dominic Carlson, Reggie Williams, Adam Clark, Sarah Lane Ritchie, Myron Penner, Thomas J. Orr, Jay McDaniel, Roberto Shea, Espinoza, Pete Enns, Leah Robertson, Tony Jones, and more. It is going to be a blast. For more information, head over to theologybeer.camp. You can use promo code RethinkingGodPod, all one word, capital letters, Rethinking God Pod for $25 off of your registration fee. Come on and hang out this year at Theology Beer Camp. It was a blast last year. I enjoyed getting to see and meet so many of uh, you listeners, and I look forward to hanging out this year once again. So, again, theologybeer.camp and use promo code Rethinking God Pod. Hope to see you guys there. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson, and hanging out today for the very first time is Deanna Young. Deanna, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Josh? I am doing good as well. I uh, recently, excuse me, I recently kind of went through a a transition Work-wise, so I, I have been uh, brewing beer <laughs> professionally okay. for a are while. Are you drinking beer right now? Or you... I, do, I do have one right here, but don't okay. tell anybody. Don't tell me. You should have uh, <laughs> told me. I would have I brought a glass of wine. Well, there we go. <laughs> it would have a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, yeah, I recently um, 
actually, for a wide variety of reasons, uh, decided to take a job uh, back in a church. I used to work in a church. I was a, a pastor so. for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now I'm just I'm the parish administrator at a tiny little Episcopal church <laughs> in uh, in Ellicott City. And so that's been kind of a, a fun change of pace. Um, but it's nice coming home. Uh, to do the podcast and not being like covered in sweat and smelling like, you know, stale beer. <laughs> so it's a little bit more refreshed. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure. Maybe not all the time, but yeah, I'm I'm the executive pastor at my church. So oh, cool. maybe okay. similar, similar jobs. Yeah, cool. Well, since I mean, you you mentioned uh, what you do vocationally. Um, would you mind just uh, sharing with us a little bit about who you are and, and what kind of things you find yourself doing? Okay. <clears throat> As you said, I'm Deanna Young, and I am, um, I would say, into my fourth or fifth career um, over my lifetime. And uh, when I was in my 40s, I felt the call to ministry. And I've answered that call, found myself in seminary um, while working. I was going to seminary and working full-time in a church and worked my way through the ordination process in the United Methodist Church. I'm an elder. And I actually retired in 2019 and right before the pandemic hit. But when the pandemic hit, I offered my my pastoral services to my church it was such a difficult time. And so I said, I'll, you know, I'll volunteer as a pastor for a year. And of course, they took me up on that. And then when the year was up, I um, they asked me if I would stay on. And I'm the executive pastor there. I'm married, been married for 40, almost 48 years. And I have three children, a son and two daughters, and I have eight grandchildren. And I like to paint. Oh, cool. Not walls, but <laughs> canvases. <laughs> nice. That's fun. I uh, I personally have never been like super artistic um, in the sense of like with my hands. My Technically, my degree is in graphic design, um, which was an accident, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> graphic but, design. I have a... Yeah. a, a Co-worker that her degree is in graphic design and she's going to become a deacon nice. and she uses those skills for our church too yeah yeah i mean it definitely comes in handy it definitely mm -hmm. comes in handy I, but i have i have yet to uh, have like a true graphic design job or something like that <laughs> well so. my undergrad de degree is in biology biology and um then I got a master's of divinity and then I have the doctor of theology and ministry. Yeah. So you, you did your, um, doctor of theology and ministry at Northwind, uh, yes. right. With a, a friend of the podcast and friend of mine, yeah. Dr. Thomas J. Ord. So that's fun. Mm. Yes, it was. Yeah. When, so how long ago, uh, did you like, are you finished the program now? Like officially complete? Yes. I started in December of 2020 during the pandemic. And uh, while I was working at that church, so I was working full time and doing this as well. And um, 
I finished, I defended my dissertation in January of this year. So I I was pretty fast. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well done. And I think I have the the product of your dissertation here in front of me. You (laughs) do. You do. That is it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, um, what I wanted to to kind of talk about today was uh, the book that you wrote, Unblaming God, Interpreting the Old Testament Through the Lens of Jesus Christ. But I am curious, though, I want to know kind of your story, how you found yourself um, in the world of open and relational uh, theology, because uh, I think um, for most people I've talked to, uh, that's not something that um, you're just kind of like grew up being taught, but rather is, yeah. you know, there's a typically a journey involved uh, to getting to that place. So I'm interested in, in what your story is. Definitely a journey, but I think somehow parts of it I've always believed, even though I didn't know there was this term for it. Um, for a long time, I, be- I, under- I believe God is love. I mean, so that's always been primary for me. So when I think about circumstances, tragic circumstances or whatever, I think in terms of since God is love then, then God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't allow this. So that was already there. And then um, for some reason, Tom sent me his book, Uncontrolling Love. And um, I started reading it and I, I honestly didn't finish it because I thought it was hard to read and it was just where I was in my life. But then he sent me God Can't. Now, I don't know how I got on his list, but I'm glad I did. So he sent me God Can't and in reading God Can't, you know, I had some questions. I was actually at this time teaching it to my people in my church. And I had some questions. So I messaged him on Messenger, Facebook, and said, I have some questions. He said, let's Zoom. I've never met the man before. He said, let's Zoom. So we did. And I realized that this theology that he was writing about and teaching about was already something I believed. Now, I hadn't taken it all the way. I had just, it was God is love. God is not violent. You know, all of those things. So then he, on a second Zoom with him, I think it was, he told me that he had just started this doctoral program at Northwind. And I said, really? I have been wanting to get my doctorate for a long time. Maybe this is what I was waiting for. That was that was mid-year 2020, and I was I was working it by December of the same year. I was enrolled and you know reading my first books for, for it. Cool. That's awesome. I love uh I like how you talk about kind of um open and relational theology being something that uh you kind of already like believed or maybe intuited, um, just didn't Mm -hmm. necessarily maybe have like the language for it. Um, I feel like that uh, kind of resonates with a lot of people, or at least I've heard a lot of people tell kind of a similar story where they had these kind of deep intuitions, but maybe they thought, well, I don't know if I can say that or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. 
I have, so, um, I'm teaching this book now in, in my church. I have two different classes and it's, I start with asking them why they're taking the class. So that's always interested, interesting. And I also ask them, what are the why questions that they have? And what are the why questions they've heard other people ask? I'm keeping those till the end of the class. And I want to see if that changes um, for them. But it's very interesting to hear their responses. Yeah, that's cool. I I don't know. I, I harp on sorry, harp on it a lot on this podcast, but I, I'm a firm believer um in story. I just think uh when we um, share our story um, with other people and kind of invite people into um, our story, I think something happens. I don't know. I don't want to say magic. I don't mean it that way, but something uh, transformative happens when people kind of um, can see themselves in your story and know that, you know, they're not alone or they're not the only ones who have these kind of big questions. Um, And so I think storytelling is like, I don't know. I think it's super important. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. And you, and isn't that what God does with us? God invites us to co-author our story with, with God. And, and it's, um, Jesus told stories all the time. It's just really, really important. And when I, as a pastor, am transparent about my life, my struggles, tell my stories, it's all about shared experiences, right? I, I go through a lot of stuff. Not If I keep it to myself, it's not going to help anybody. But if I share it with others and people say, well, I, you know, she's been through the same thing I'm going through. I think it helps other people sharing our experiences, telling our story. Yeah. And, and you kind of, um, you open, you open your book uh, with story <laughs> Yeah. Um, and kind of share the the motive the motivation behind um, writing. And so I was wondering yes. if if you'd be willing to kind of share some of that uh, motivation behind why you wanted to write uh, this kind of book. Yes, um, I'd love to. As a pastor, I get those why questions all the time, and it is gut wrenching at times to hear people ask ask the questions that essentially, whether they think they're doing it or not, they're blaming God for something that bad that happened to them. And um, usually in times of those tragic circumstances, you're not going to spout theology to them. You know, you minister to them, you you offer the, them the ministry of your presence, you, you sit with them, you cry with them. You don't tell them, well, let me tell you about open and relational theology. You know, but it's the why questions. Why did God give my loved one cancer? Why why did God heal this per- person and not that person? Why did the hurricane uh, take my house away? All of the why questions. And the, and the guy I'm talking about in this story, you know, wanting to commit suicide. And, and he, because of tragic circumstances, had turned from God and maybe even stopped believing in God. And it's those types of circumstances. I want to help people to better understand who I think God to be. And if if I can help them in that way, that will change 
their outlook on things. They won't blame God. Uh, they'll they'll come to understand how God is with them throughout, and God is trying to inspire them and guide them and nurture them and comfort them. So that's that's why I do it for the parishioners. Yeah, I love it. I like uh, I enjoy um, getting the opportunity to speak with people who uh, are still, you know, within pastoral or vocational ministry, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the times, I mean, I'm I'm a nerd through and through. Like, I love the big heady stuff. I love sitting down, you know, on a Saturday and reading Whitehead. Like, that's what I do. But <laughs> yes, you're having... a nerd. Yes, right. <laughs> and having conversations. Uh, like in the pure kind of abstract way is fun, mm-hmm. but I all I really genuinely enjoy getting to sit down when this kind of you know theology and stuff is couched in this kind of like pastoral, um, it's like having like a pastoral heart or um wanting to help people. Like I really I don't know that that brings like a a new uh layer to things because it makes it. Uh, relational haha um it takes it out of the abstract and brings it into the concrete um and so i don't know practical it's practical yeah and that's that's what i was telling tom when i was writing because i have a particular writing style and i wanted to make it practical i wanted somebody in the church pews to be able to pick it up and read it and understand it so they can use it um, and and so I was I was kind of walking a fine line and making it academic enough for a dissertation and making it practical enough for the person in the pews. Uh, I don't know any other way to the person, the people in my classes, the people in my classes. So um it was it was a challenge to find that balance. And I, you know, I've been to a lot of the, the conferences, uh, the nerdy conferences, you know, that you're talking about, where they talk about Whitehead and all of this. And um, and I think there's a place for that. And all of that got me here. Right. All of that got me here. But I also think there's a place for the practical, the accessible. And that's what I was trying to write. Yeah. Well, I think you very much uh, succeeded um, in doing that. And I, I applaud you for that because a lot of these kind of ideas are like, um, I mean, I think one of the, you know, areas that, you know, open and relational thinking or process thinking, you know, I know that's, they're similar, but different, but um it that it struggles with is kind of a complexity and like struggling to be able to explain the ideas so that people who don't you know sit around and read whitehead books for fun (laughs) can understand and so i think it's a real gift to be able to take the kind of complex ideas um and offer them in a way that is is beautiful and compelling so um i don't know i i appreciate your work and one day hope to uh also you know be able to kind of do the same thing so um Yes. And let's see, where do I want to go? ADHD brain. Um, all right, we'll, we'll do this. Uh, so you kind of alluded to it already uh, when you were sharing uh, just kind of a little bit about yourself, um, mm-hmm. this idea that God is love. And I wanted to ask you if you could kind of 
let's walk through that and let's, you know, kind of break that down and see what some of the implications are um, when you say God is love. Um, so, yeah, what what kind of uh, outcomes do you find when you start talking that way? Well, if you take that statement, God is love, and you carry it through logically, the other things that we think about God, things start to fall apart. Like um, God is love, but God is all powerful, or God is love, but God is impassable. All of these things, you start to think about those things logically. And it doesn't fit. And that's why I talk about, you know, in, in the Old Testament, we should be able to t- take any place that God's name is mentioned and put the word love in or put the Jesus name in. And if it doesn't make sense, we need to figure out what else is going on there. So with my classes, what I do, what I did actually last night, the God is and the Jesus is on a, on a whiteboard. And I just had them brainstorm all the ways they think God is like, all like all, all the descriptors. Of course, omnipotence, omniscience, impassibility, immutability, uh, timeless, all of these things pop up. But also love, compassion, mercy, all, all of those things. So I let them talk through that. And then I said, okay, let's talk about Jesus. And none of those things came up. It's compassion, mercy, love, friend, teacher, shepherd, you know, all of these things. And I then I talk, talk to them about comparing. And um, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So if Jesus is love, therefore, God is love too. And all those characteristics are God's characteristics. But then we have to figure out what to do about these other things that we we read in the Bible about God's power, God's the violence. And um, so we start, start to talk about those things in light of love. Would love do this? Would love command a father to sacrifice his son? Would love command um, genocide? And I just carry that out. And I, in the book, I show people how I tease away um, the context uh, so that we can look and see what's really there. Because, well, the, the author's thrownness, thrownness is a word I use in there. What all their experiences that help them to interpret what God is saying to them is their thrownness, their theological worldview, you know, their context, their experiences, their traditions, all of that. And um, I try to tease that away so that we can look at what's actually there and see if it makes sense. And most of the time it doesn't. So then what else is going on here? And so that's kind of what I do with the, with the love piece. Does yeah, I know. Sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> and I know it, it resonates uh, just with my own experience, um, because when I first started, you know, asking questions about 
um, okay, if God is love, then some of the things for me that were uh, confusing uh, were some of the things you mentioned, right? Like immutability. I was like, well, mm-hmm. um, I love my wife. And if she was experiencing suffering and I was very indifferent to it, <laughs> I don't think I would win any husband of the year awards, right? Um, and most yeah. people would not say that I'm being loving. And so it's like, well, that that doesn't seem to work, right? And then kind of just... <clears throat> as you pointed out, uh, go through those, you know, kind of, um, I don't know what you want to call them, like classic, um, classic I mean, or conventional, yeah. yeah, conventional, like essentially it's like Greek philosophy and metaphysics. Here you go. This is what it means. You know, divine perfection, boom, boom, boom. Um, and so, yeah, for me that, that kind of, uh, started to break down. Um, and I, what I think though, in, that's important because <clears throat> I think that our image of God, like what we think God is like, is so important and I guess even foundational. It's going to shape the rest of um, our theology, right? And But also it's going to shape us practically because we become what we worship. Um, and so exactly. if we have this kind of, you know, I don't know, I'd rather have the, a God who is loving <laughs> and challenges me and continues. Well, yeah the challenge me to be yeah. loving. Um, and I also think it, it makes the most sense. So, um, it does. And, you know, I talk about at times that a lot of us create God in our image, um, who we want God to be. And I think there's a lot of that in the, in the old Testament, because that's what they knew. They knew violence and that's how they accomplished things. And, um, it's it's the violent piece that really spurred me on to write this book, to focus on the violence, because there's so much violence in our world. And if we're told we're created in an image of God and we think God is all powerful and we think God is violent, well, are we going to be like God? Um, I think there's a struggle in many people between the idea that God, God's foremost and governing attribute, I think that's Tom, Tom's words, is love or power. Because many people think that if God is not all powerful, then God is a wimp. What good is he? You know, all of the things like that. Um, and that's the biggest struggle I find with people because they don't want a God that's not all powerful. But I, I say, okay. If God is all powerful, which mean, means having all the power, how can we have any? I mean, it's a logical question. And so I try to work people through. Now there's people that will, no matter how I explain it, they're going to believe what they want to believe. And it's not my job to tell them what to believe. It's my job to help them figure out what they believe and why. And does it make sense? And some people don't care if it makes sense, to be honest with you. They want to believe what they've been taught all of their lives. And all those big omni words, that's what they've been taught. And so they don't want to stray from it. Um, But I like to teach in my classes and have an open conversation about what they do believe and 
they can bring that to the table so we can all discuss it. And uh, one man in my class said, conversation, not confrontation. I said, exactly. There will be no confrontation. We're just going to talk about it and see where we are here. And um, it's Wesley, John Wesley, that says, we don't have to think alike, but we can love alike. So that's kind of where where I am in those classes. Yeah, that's cool. I I wish that you know, the churches that I grew up in um, had something like that, <laughs> right? The the kind Me of too. intellectual humility <laughs> and the the willingness to, um, you know, come together for conversation and recognize, and as you said, or as that gentleman said, conversation doesn't, you know, necess- necessitate uh, confrontation. Right. Um, yeah. And that, that's actually one thing too, that I've been enjoying so far in my uh, still very new uh, connection with this little Episcopal church that I'm working in um, is I've been reading up on some of their history and part of uh, why they're so staunch on their liturgy that they do every Sunday um, is because their bigger concern is about like shared uh, worship together outside of what we believe, you know, so we can have mm-hmm. these, you know, conversations like you're talking about is God omnipotent, is God not this or that, um, but then still come together and worship together in the same way, you know, on a Sunday in, you know, a spirit of unity, um, regardless of, you know, the kind of conversation that we might've just had yeah. 10 minutes before church started. And I think there's something beautiful about that. I think the, the ability to have open conversation, to be, uh, you know, have intellectual humility, to um, ask the big questions that maybe we were told we shouldn't, um, it just it creates such a more welcoming and, and you know, loving <laughs> kind of environment and space. So that's pretty It really cool. does. And you, it, I know, you know, United Methodist Church has been going through a tough time lately with all the disaffiliations over the topic of homosexuality. And um, our church chose not to because we want to be inclusive. And... Um, it's been interesting uh, to see the people flocking to our church. Now, some left, but the people that were looking for a safe space, a space where they can they can be transparent, they can be honest about who they are or who their families are, and not be afraid to be judged or told they're wrong. And that's the kind of church we have. And it is a beautiful thing when we come together and worship and um, in unity, because there is definitely unity in our United Methodist Church. Not necessarily in all the United Methodist churches. Maybe one day we'll get there. Yeah, I remember I was, um, so when I was still a pastor, I I, uh, served in a, a UMC um, in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, for about a year and a half, maybe almost two years, um, and that was kind of right around the time I believe the first kind of like big vote at um, whatever like the big assembly is, what, the convention here, the general conference. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the general conference. Um, like kind of the first time they were voting on the. Um, question of inclusion um, is when I was in the Methodist church. Um, 
I think like six years ago or something. I don't know. (laughs) No, it's been around since 1973. Oh, shoot. Okay. Okay. But what you're talking about maybe is when the general conference, there was a resolutions to change the book of discipline. And the I general think that might have been it. Yes. Okay. The general, it, it was an ugly general conference. That's the year I retired. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. That, yeah. uh, I remember that, that whole thing. Um, and I was in a, uh, Methodist church that was, um, like open and affirming, mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And I remember it being a kind of a, just a difficult thing to watch how that like impacted members of the congregation and the the pastors and, and all of that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and, and I talk about that in in the book that about it all comes down to interpretation of scripture and how the more conservative people interpret the, the passages that are the trouble, troublesome passages versus how we interpret and um because the united methodist church does not believe that the bible is without error but there are many many people that read the bible literally when it's convenient i'll add (laughs) (laughs) yeah right the when it's when it's convenient yeah and you i mean you do you spend a, a good um amount of time in your book on interpretation of, of scripture. I mean, you, so you set up this, you know, if God is love, then here's kind of, you know, how you view God. Um, and you, to, to kind of echo uh, my buddy Trip Fuller, he likes to say, God has to be at least as nice as Jesus. Right. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so, <laughs> and so you kind of um, then use this, uh, you know, um, like Jesus type hermeneutic um and and apply this like okay god looks like this now i'm going to apply that to interpretation of scripture um so for you without it okay and so then you kind of get into some really specific examples um you do noah you do abraham uh you talk about like the canaanite um genocide job um but so before like the specific kind of examples um how does that uh, kind of like Jesus lens or this um, God who is love lens, how does that um, maybe change how you interact with uh, scripture when you do your interpretation? Well, I think that it, it, it's not easy. I mean, to do what I'm, what I did and to continue to do what I do as far as interpretation of scripture. Um, but it helps to lend for me more value to the Old Testament. There are too many people that want to pitch it because of the violence. And so one of my goals was to help people see there is great value. We can learn a lot from the Old Testament, um, but we don't have to read it literally. And it's okay. I mean, didn't the rabbis sit around and and interpret? I mean, everybody had different interpretation of the the scriptures, and they were okay with having varying interpretations. So I don't know why so many of us struggle to find the one right interpretation. So it's 
it's kind of freeing in the way and it helps me look at look at it differently and not I mean there are parts of the Old Testament honestly that are so violent you just come away from it with bad taste in your mouth and if I can if I can get rid of that if I can find another way to read the scripture to reframe it so that I see the value. I know what I'm supposed to get out of this. Um, like I did in those four stories, it's, I think it's very help, helpful. And I think it's going to be helpful for those that read the book and to see the process I, I go through to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially for, you know, people like myself who did grow up kind of um, being taught that the Bible is inerrant and there's only one way to read it <laughs> uh, kind of thing um, that I mean that in in my opinion is one of the big um, kind of reasons people end up you know sidelining Christianity or walking away from the faith because they're like oh well this one interpretation that I was taught is the only one and that doesn't align with my experience. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. That, you know, whatever. That makes God seem like an asshole. You know, whatever kind yes. of thing they might yes. want to say. And then they're like, well, I guess that just means I can't be a Christian. Throw the thing away. And it's really unfortunate, <clears throat> especially because even like you mentioned, the rabbis have this, you know, uh, we forget our Jewish roots. The rabbis have this beautiful um history of interpret interpreting the text and inheriting tradition and playing right. with tradition and uh they even do it within the pages of the bible they're like arguing mm -hmm. with each other yeah. um and then even within christianity like i have a buddy named um gabe uh and he you know he's uh, done some writing before um and he gabe kind of comes at things from more like eastern orthodox kind of perspective and so he always likes to to mess with me and be like, Josh, you still think like, uh, you know, like a literalist or something like that. Um, and talks about the kind of allegorical spiritual reading of scripture that mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of more common within the Eastern Orthodox traditions. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think this kind of, uh, you know, Jesus hermeneutic, if you will, um, plays nicely within this this more beautiful tradition of interpreting uh the text and i think part of our our uh role or part of what it means to be faithful to the tradition is to ask the question how do we inherit the tradition faithfully but also in a way um that is faithful and makes sense to today um you know, and sometimes that looks like uh, what Jesus did often, which was cutting the violence and expanding the borders, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, and so I don't yeah. know. I I love the I don't know. I like it. I'm well, a fan. And is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think um, I've, I've already faced some opposition and I knew I would. Um, challenging me. About. I want to throw out the Old Testament. I said, no, that's not really what I'm about. If I wanted to throw it out, I wouldn't have spent so much time working in it. Um, or, you know, using a Jesus lens 
some people think it's anti-Semitic. Well, we could use a love lens. I mean, that's, it's the same for me. And that's my intention is just to help, to help people stop using the Bible to hurt others, to cause trauma to others, because it happens all the time. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It does. Um, and then when we have, you know, certain kind of images of God, it backs up our ability, you know, right. It justifies it to whack people on the head. So it kind of comes uh, full circle there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So you uh, in your book, you picked four uh, not small or easy <laughs> stories to interact with. Um, like I said, you you did uh, Noah and the flood. Um, you did kind of the Abraham and Isaac bit. You did Canaanite genocide, and you did the Book of Job. <laughs> Which one of them for you was maybe uh, the most challenging or the most fun to kind of uh, work through? And then maybe we can talk about it a little bit. <clears throat> well, um, let me clarify. I didn't pick all of those stories. I picked two and then Tom picked the other two. <laughs> so, um, and so I went with that. I wanted to do Abraham and Isaac. That was, that was, th that and Canaanite genocide were the ones I wanted to tackle. And he, he suggested the others. I think the, the ones that were most impact, impactful for me was Abraham and Isaac in the book of Job. So pick one. Oh, man, you, it put me on the spot. Uh, hmm. I don't know. They both were fun. Uh, well, I did in my last podcast. I think I did Job. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Oh. My mic was uh, muted like a rookie podcast mistake. Way to go, Josh <laughs> Patterson. Um, <laughs> I said, if you uh, if you did, um, you know, Job last time, then uh, let's do Abraham, especially because that's one that uh, you wanted to do in the first place. Yeah. Well, like I said, a love would never ask a father to sacrifice his son. And so I knew something else was going on there. And I had to figure out what that was. So I looked at Abraham's history and um, his his story and where he had been, where he came from, uh, what his experiences had been with God up to this point in the story. I mean, there were a lot of faithful moments for him. There were a lot of times where he didn't do really well. Um, when he lied about who Sarah was, when he took matters into his own hands because he wasn't having a baby fast enough, you know, things like that. And then when he cast out Ishmael, those things stood out to me. And um, I kept thinking about, okay, how would that make a person feel if they knew they had been maybe not faithful to God and had done things that they weren't necessarily proud of. 
there's this guilt, right? There's this guilt that, um, that kind of, uh, I'm looking for the word, comes up in you, in your body, and, and it affects everything that you do, how you, how you see other people, how you see yourself, how you hear other people. Well, and I also looked at the theological worldview of that time. You know, child sacrifice was not unheard of to appease the gods for things they've done wrong. So you can put those together. I spent a lot of time in the interpretation of scripture talking about thrownness, which I mentioned earlier. And I wanted to see, okay, what is Abraham's thrownness? You know, and I've talked about most of that, his theological worldview brought up to believe God is in control, that you have to be obedient to God um, in a culture where um, are all around you. There are sacrifices being made, sometimes human sacrifice or child sacrifice. We don't know that a, uh, that um, Isaac was a child. But anyway, um, I looked through all those things and I wrote in the book that when anyone is hearing God speak to them, they're automatically interpreting what they're hearing. And before it comes out of their mouth or before they write it down, it's already an interpretation. Okay, so when, when God talks to Abraham, whatever it was he said to Abraham, I believe Abraham interpreted what God was saying to him through the lens of Abraham's guilt over things he has done. Especially the part about casting out his own, his first son, because there's a huge focus on take your son, your one and only son. Um, And through the lens of his guilt, he, he thinks he hears God ask him, to sacrifice his son. And so then I go on to tell, to reframe the whole story there. But I think it was an important element of that story is Abraham's guilt, how he felt. And that guilt almost killed his son. So do you want to know more? Or do we want to leave some for the reader? Yeah, absolutely. We can release some for the reader. I was going to just going to comment on that because I love the kind of the, the that guilt lens. It, and it reminds me of um, a project that a friend of mine, uh, Bonnie, did where um, she kind of she made this like uh, it's not a full like the full text translation, but a, like a Bible translation called Tim Shell. Um, it was like an idiomatic translation. And so what she was mm-hmm. trying to do is incorporate kind of that like um get inside the character's head so to speak um and and you know experience their uh thrownness the word kind of that she used which i i love that i hadn't heard it called it that before um i I just kind of always talk about like oh like what is what's my context what's you know what is my like you said experiences that have shaped me Mm -hmm. my my friendships my family etc and how does that um impact everything that i do everything yeah yeah, we can't even interpret, you know, or read a newspaper or anything without interpreting it, right? Because of our thrownness. Um, and so that, I don't know, I the guilt lens is super fascinating to me. Um, 
kind of bringing that into the the story um and trying to place yourself you know within uh abraham's own throneness um <clears throat> and that's what i did I, I i try to imagine myself as the character yeah and and um gosh if i had cast out my first child i couldn't live with myself and um and him thinking that god is a, a demanding um demanding obedience and and that he's a punishing god why wouldn't he think oh god is punishing me for what i did back there i mean and he fought for sodom and gomorrah that's what that's what bothered me too he fought for sodom and gomorrah but he didn't fight for either one of his sons so there's just it's there's weirdness in there i think yeah, no, that is interesting. That's an interesting point. Um that he did do that. He, you know, he uh kind of has a a past of wrestling with God and and uh coming away um you know, I don't know if like victorious if we want to use that language or whatever, but um yeah, no, but that's do, interesting. Yeah, I do yeah. think he's he's the, he's thankful. Yes. I do think and see that's I didn't want cuz that's what this story is known for is Abraham's faithfulness. And I I don't take that any of that away from him. Yeah. If he thought God asked him to sacrifice his son, by golly, he was going to do it. Uh, that's faithfulness. So there's lots of different ways you can look at this story. And, and the way I've reframed it does not make it any less valuable to us. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we can still recognize, like you said, the faithfulness of Abraham, even if we think like, oh, OK, well, if God is love, then we think that's, that means God probably didn't ask Abraham to sacrifice his right. child. We can still respect the faithfulness um, there and also still glean, you know, much insight from the story, um, which is cool. That's I like the um, I don't know, you you have already said this, but I do like how within the book you reframe the stories not so much to ditch them, but say like, okay, no, these, you know, we can wrestle with these. That's challenging, but what are the stories trying to teach us? Um, yeah, I don't know. I appreciate that that kind of uh, perspective and willingness because I think the easier thing to do is just be like, well, forget that story. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to play that well, game anymore. <laughs> and how many times, maybe as you you as a pastor and me as a pastor, people have asked about that story. Because people don't want to believe God would ask that. And so now I have a way of, of reframing it for them. Yeah. So. I actually, <laughs> now that you said that, it, it, um, you reminded me, I had a student one time, uh, say, but basically like raise their hand and be like, Hey, Josh, like, I know probably I shouldn't say this, but like, if I found out that my mom or dad was about to sacrifice me because they thought God told him to do it, that would be pretty out of pocket. Like <laughs> that would not be cool with me. That would not, would not fly. Uh, so that's funny. I just remember that story. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, let's, um, so let's, I guess like maybe, a a fun way to wrap up is, um, you kind of like coined this phrase, unblaming God. 
uh, and then kind of, you know, did the theology bit, you did the like biblical interpretation bit, um, but maybe practically, right? So practically, what would you say to somebody um, or what kind of advice might you give to try to help somebody uh, in a difficult situation unblame God? Well, I think that's very difficult because I think I said this earlier that when somebody is in a tragic circumstance or difficult circumstance, I'm not going to spout theology to them. I'm not going to teach them about open and relational theology. What I will do is love them and journey with them through that circumstance. Um, Tell them that God loves them. May not feel like it, but God loves them. And I I just don't think it's a time to talk theology. I think it's a time to just love them. And then maybe somewhere down the line, they'll ask the questions. We'll get to a place where we can have the conversation. I noted in the book about one of my parishioners that asked about her granddaughter getting cancer and then dying. She has come around. She has come around. That was the question she wanted me to ask Tom when I asked, what would you like for me to ask Tom? She wanted me to ask Tom, why would God give us beautiful granddaughter, then give her cancer and then take her from us at 12 years old? But today, I heard her say, well, I heard her say the other day that God didn't do it. And so it's been a couple of years. She's been in some of my classes. She's heard my sermons. And it's sinking in. And so it's it's um, just loving them through it. I know that's probably not the answer you're looking for. No, it's a it's a beautiful answer. It's the it's the theology through practice. It's the the orthopraxy um, rather than just necessarily like the orthodoxy, the correct belief. Um, and I I wish that when I was a young pastor who at 21 somebody thought it'd be a good idea to hand him a microphone, um, <laughs> I wish I had that kind of wisdom and knew that. Um, when people shared tragedy or pain or heartache that um, throwing answers at them or giving them a theology uh, was not the best course of action. (laughs) So I think it's a perfect answer because it's one that I royally screwed up on more than one occasion. I think think we all have at some point in time or another, but I think the book of Job teaches us that. It teaches us that to me very clearly that trying to tell somebody why they're in trouble or why they're experiencing all these tragedies is not helpful at all. So that's one of the things I found from the book of Job, among many others. Yeah, I, and and Job too focus, you know, has that kind of relational aspect to it, the, the friendship. Um, and I think part of what, you know, has kind of been a thread through this conversation and especially how you talk about kind of your approach to ministry um, is it seems like that relational aspect is deeply important. Um, 
to you and in, and in, in the the kind of work and care that you provide. Um, and I think that's really, I mean, that's that's kind of my my thing too, my jam, so to speak, is this is the relationship. Cause I think when you build genuine relationship with people without any kind of like uh preconceived notion uh or expectation of like what yeah. this relationship has to kind of unfold, um, then eventually you become friends with this person and then you kind of uh, earn a right to to speak into a situation um, when asked, or maybe they'll never ask you, and that's not the point anyway. <laughs> it's just the the relationship. So I think it's I think it's a perfect answer. <laughs> Thank you. It's my answer. It doesn't necessarily mean it's perfect, but that's that's how I do it. Good deal. Well, I don't know. I I like it for what it's worth. You know, 20, 29 year old Josh in Baltimore <laughs> thinks it's funny. 29 years old. Let's see. <laughs> My oldest grandson is 23. <laughs> so you could almost be my grandson. Yeah, right on. Well, uh, Deanna, this was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed um, reading and interacting with your book. Um, I know reader or readers, goodness, listeners uh, would enjoy it as well. Is there like a place you want to point people uh, to engage um, with your book? Um, I know you have another book out there in the in the universe as well. I do. <laughs> I wrote that one in. I don't remember when. Anyway, different different time of my life, and I'm working on a third book. So, but that one's more. Um, pastoral it's called when angels sing so it's about it's kind of autobiographical about a time in my life when when I was going through seminary five members of my family died and how I felt God ministering to me and loving me through all of that so I'm, I'm writing about that because I think it would be helpful for other people and I talk about tattoos in that book Oh, cool. <laughs> I how don't God, have any of those. <laughs> no, how God spoke to my daughter through a tattoo. Oh, that's really cool. It is really cool. Nice. You're going to have to read the book. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited. Sounds good. Well, um, I will be sure to link this on um, Blaming God uh, in like the show notes and such. And um, yeah, thank, thank you again so much uh, for your time. Best of luck in writing your book. That's uh thank you. Again, the power of story. And so that's, um, yeah. I Thank you I for know. inviting me on <laughs> your program. Yeah, and most definitely. It has been fun. And um, if people want to contact me, they mm -hmm. can. I'm on Facebook. They can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, but not as much TikTok, you know. <laughs> not my jam. So there you go. No, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you again so much. And uh, listeners, thank you for hanging out today. And as always, guys, uh, go in peace. <laughs>